Well, today, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. We're going to skip, I'm going to give you the whole book, don't worry, but we're going to skip all the way to chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be talking about following God over controlling, following over controlling. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your grace. Thank you for just the filling of your spirit. God, I pray now as we open the word, you would open our minds to receive, even if it's just that one unique thing you have for us. I believe everybody here is going to hear one thing that they needed to hear this morning that's a message from you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my, where's, where's Dan? Is Dan Brazier here? Oh, man, he's somewhere around here. Um, one of my favorite TV shows growing up, and remember, I was part of the golden era of the 1980s, which was one of the best era for TV shows. And of course, I was a young boy in the 1980s, and so the show that I love the most, I look forward every Friday to seeing it, was a show called The A-Team. Anybody remember that show? The the A-Team. I don't know why, I just loved it. It had Mr. T in it, and it had Starbuck in it, for those of you who know that reference. It had all these cool characters in it. But my favorite character, believe it or not, was the leader. And of course, not at the end of every ep- episode, but at the end of a lot of the episodes, what would Colonel Smith say at the end of the episode? He would say, I love it when a plan comes together. Because <laughs> he would always orchestrate you know, this great plan. They were you know, kind of a a mercenary vigilante group that would help people and he, he would make a plan and so it always with that you know he'd say I love it when a plan comes together and in TV land that always seems to be the way it happens the plan comes together the good guy wins the lesson is learned and the impossible odds are achieved especially through that show and it can sometimes be so convincing that we forget somebody sat down at their computer in that day and age, probably their typewriter, but at their computer, and they wrote the script for everything that you just watched on TV. That writer had total control as to what was going to happen. That's why the impossible odds are often reached. The hero wins, the bad guy goes to jail, and the love story ends with a happily ever after. And I think that we're drawn to television because deep down inside, we want to live in a world where we can write the script. We want to live in a world where the impossible becomes possible. But in the real world, we don't get to exhibit much control over the script. I want to take this morning to teach a little bit, especially in light of some of the events that happened in America this week. There were peaceful protests in Washington, D.C., and a small portion of those protests turned violent, and there are some people dead because of it. I mourn for the innocent families, the police officer who was hurt or killed, and the event really caused me to reflect a lot this week and to pray and to kind of ask myself the question, what do we do when we don't get what we want? The hardest thing I remember, uh, I talked to a, someone who owned their own business, and, uh, and he told me, uh, it was a successful business, and he said, the hardest thing for me is I live in the world where I often get everything I want. I tell my workers to go do this, and they do that. I say, this is exactly how I want it done, and this is exactly how it's done. 
The hardest thing for me is when things outside of my control don't go my way. It's very hard for me to overcome a world that doesn't necessarily go according to the way I think it should. Uh, and he was a very successful businessman. And I remember that, he, that, that story that he told me always stuck in my mind because I think I can often have the same thing. Okay. I can often have the same thing where, you know, when something doesn't go exactly the way I think it should go, I can tend to struggle. Now, the Bible has a lot of examples with how to deal with this, but probably the most famous one is Jonah. Uh, Jonah is a prophet of God in the Old Testament. He lived during the time of the Assyrian invasions into Israel. Now, the Assyrians were kind of a cruel, brutal, horrific people. Uh, They were particularly uh, cruel in their treatment of civilians, particularly women and children. And it's well documented both in the Bible and outside of the Bible how cruel this empire truly was. They were kind of considered the Al-Qaeda of their day and proclaimed evil enemies to the people of Israel. Indeed, many people prayed daily for the Assyrian Empire to fall and for God to destroy the Assyrian Empire. In fact, some of the great deliverances of Israel militarily uh, involved the Assyrian kings and the Assyrian armies. In fact, one time, uh, there was an angel that came down and destroyed 180,000 of them. Uh, and so the Israelites had these, this kind of fervor and feeling very close to their heart. They did not want to see the Assyrians repent and come to God. They wanted to see them destroyed and sent straight to hell. They were the people that God was supposed to be against, deserving of his wrath. And Jonah himself most likely preached against Assyria and prayed daily for their destruction. Well, one day God shows up to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2 and he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, what's very interesting is you would think for a lot of people who were praying against a certain people that they would love to have the opportunity to be, to be backed by God and to go into a city in which they could preach against the city. But oddly enough, Jonah does something that rarely happens in the Bible, at least outright. He essentially tells God, no. Jonah does not go. In fact, Jonah, uh, instead of following God, because he doesn't want to preach to Nineveh, uh, Jonah does almost the exact opposite. He goes and he finds a seaport and he sails in the opposite direction of where God has called him to go. The brief, brief version of the story that leads up to chapter four is essentially this. God calls Jonah, as we just read. Jonah runs and sails west. God sends a storm while Jonah is in the ship. The sailors throw Jonah overboard because Jonah admits he's probably the reason for the storm. The storm ends and the sailors end up worshiping God. God sends a great fish that swallows up Jonah and then that fish pukes Jonah up on the very same beach he left from three days and three nights later. Eventually, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches an eight-word sermon. The whole city repents and God relents from their destruction. Now, you would think that Jonah would be happy about this. You would think that one of the great highlights of his ministry career, ushering in a revival, 
in a city that probably had close to a million people. It was one of the great cities of the ancient world. And Jonah has just brought revival to the city. You would think that this would make him happy. But when Jonah stopped following God, when Jonah said no, what began to happen is he began to take control. No, God, I'm not going to Nineveh. I am going to Tarshish. I'm going to take my money. I'm going to go down and buy a ticket. And I am going to sail in the exact opposite, furthest direction from where you are calling me to go. And Jonah, whether he knew it or not, went from following God to controlling his own life and his own destiny and not following God. And so when he finally reluctantly does what God told him to do, he's still under a little bit of the notion that he expects God to follow his lead rather than submitting to his. And that is something that the best of us can creep in where we begin to expect God to do what we want him to do rather than seeking what he wants to do and getting in alignment with that. It's very subtle from following to now we're leading God around rather than God leading us around. If you've opened up your Bible to Jonah chapter 4, we're going to read the first three verses. It says this, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He became angry because the people of Nineveh not only heard the message, but they repented. They repented humbly. And God relented upon the disastrous judgment that was going to come upon them. It says Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said? Is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. You see, here's the interesting thing. You and I probably think Jonah didn't want to go because who wants to go and preach doom and gloom to their enemies? They're going to take one look at Jonah and say, spear him right now. You and I probably think that's why, of course, Jonah's going to flee. He doesn't want to die. But Jonah tips his hand. He was not afraid of being that prophet that confronts. He was not afraid of that at all. He says it right here. He says, Is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die rather than live oh doesn't jonah sound like a baby he didn't get what he wants so now he's sitting in the corner saying i'd just rather die than not live since you didn't do what i wanted you to do i mean there is a real immaturity on his part that he is betraying here what changed god is no longer going to destroy nineveh and jonah can't take it so he's getting angry he's getting controlling He's getting defensive. He's getting flat out hard to be around. I can't tell you how many times I've done a marriage appointment and one or the other spouses will open up with he or she is becoming impossible to deal with. 
He has to be right all the time. He's controlling. He's defensive about everything. He's just arguing about everything. And oftentimes I think there is something wrong that is causing all that. There's, there's, there's a problem internally that may have nothing to do with you, but have everything to do with the person who is descending into that. And I think there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. Jonah's attitude has been quite clear from the beginning. God, I'm, I'm fine as long as you send them straight to hell. But the fact that God showed mercy, do you know what Jonah called God's mercy? A great evil. That is how much Jonah had taken the reins. That when God showed mercy, Jonah's conclusion is that it was a great evil. That's what happens when we stop following God and start controlling. We remake God in our image rather than conform to his. You see, Jonah was fine with mercy when he received it, but he couldn't handle it when God showed mercy to his enemies. You can tell that you've made God in your image when it turns out that he hates all the same people that you do. You can tell that you've made God in your image when it turns out that he loves all the same people that you do, and he may actually love them. But see, God knows how to deal with evil people. God knows how to deal with the people you don't agree with. God knows how to deal with the people that frustrate you, that disappoint you, that cause you to be angry, that cause you to be bitter. God knows how to deal with the people that you act like a baby around. You know what he does? He saves them. He does for them what he wants to do with every human being on the planet. See them come to salvation, not crumble under judgment. So what is he going to do with this smug, arrogant, know-it-all prophet? In the belly of the fish, if you read the story, in the belly of the fish, Jonah cries out, God, forgive me. Oh, God, please let me live. But now, after the greatest triumph of his life, Jonah says, oh, God, please let me die. This is a prophet that should just really stop speaking because the more he speaks, the worse it's getting. Because at the end of the day, Joseph or Jonah proves to be the bigger problem, bigger than Nineveh, bigger than the storm, bigger than the fish. Nothing goes according to plan. If I were Jonah thinking of the A-team, he's probably sitting back going, I hate it when a plan doesn't come together. <laughs> because you see, nothing goes according to plan except what God plans. In fact, that's something you can write on your wall. Nothing goes according to plan except what God plans. Because God is the only one most powerful enough to control the events of earth and the events of our lives. Nothing goes according to plan unless it's God's plans. So Jonah ends as he began in the book with a kind of a rotten smug attitude and although he doesn't have to God explains himself he says in Jonah 4 verse 11 he says Jonah 
Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Who is God describing? He's describing children, right? You look back, we've got Alex back there and Kimberlyn. God's saying, there's 120,000 like that. They don't know right from left yet. He says, and many cattle as well. Isn't that funny? God cares about cows much more than I do. I look at a cow and I get hungry. God looks at a cow and cares about the cow. He says, should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah has two problems. First, it's obvious that he has no heart for the people of Nineveh. But his real problem is this. He's got no use for a God who does. Jonah's real problem is God. And in attempting to make God in his own image, Jonah wanted God to be something he's not. Unmerciful. And that's what we do. When we attempt to remake God into our image, we're remaking God into something he's not. God is merciful. And he's merciful to our enemies. He's merciful to those who are dead set against us. He is merciful, wanting all to come into his love, to come into his care. The lesson here is to try to not remake God in our own image, but to always try to conform to his. And the easiest way to do that, which is incredibly hard and may take a lifetime to pursue, to come to a place of trusting God. To be able to say, I don't need to understand everything. I trust you. I don't need to agree with everything. I trust you. My feelings don't have to be completely in order. I still trust you. The facts may say otherwise, and yet I will trust you. For whoever comes to God must first come to him in faith. For it is impossible to please God without having faith and believing that he is a rewarder of those who seek his face. And so I want to just give you four things here that hopefully will build our trust in following God and following in his image and resisting making God in our own image. And the first one is this. Instead of criticizing our enemies, God is calling us to pray for them. What Jonah couldn't understand and what makes us squirm inside is the simple fact that God is always on his side. We tend to think of us and them, our side and their side. In fact, when, even when Joshua was getting ready to uh, invade the promised land and he stood before the great city of Jericho and, and, uh, you know, and the Lord stood before him and of course Joshua said, are you for us or are you for them? You know what the answer was? Neither. But as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. We, we think in terms of our sides, God is always on his side. And his side is always represented in God's unrelenting heart to see the sinner saved and the saved set free and the free sent out. And so <clears throat> God loves Nineveh. Who is Nineveh? Well, Nineveh is that coworker that you can't stand. 
Nineveh is the boss that always seems to make you feel stupid. Nineveh is the ex-wife or the ex-husband that destroyed a piece of you that's never fully come back. Nineveh may be your liberal neighbor or your prepper cousin. Nineveh is the person that you want God to judge, not to save. And while God sees everything that you see in terms of the evil of the world, it does not turn back his love. And thank God, because we need mercy just like everybody else. Now that's not to say there isn't a time for boundaries. I'm a big believer in boundaries, and sometimes with certain enemies, you have to draw boundaries, healthy boundaries. But when God says, go and love them, and we frown and turn away, we are making God into our image rather than being conformed to his. Number two, instead of running from God and running from the heart of God, jump into the fish. Jump into the fish. Jonah may be arrogant, stubborn, and obstinate, but he wasn't stupid. Jonah knew what he had to do. And it took a very brave man in the middle of the storm in the black of night to say, throw me over. He completely placed his future in God's hands at that moment. He jumped into the fish. Now, the storm and the fish in the story of Jonah, they're the scariest parts. Why? Because they are beyond Jonah's control. When God sends a storm or when God sends a fish, we are reminded we are not in control and God does not want us to attempt to take control but to come back to trust. The ship, the great sails and the hired sailors, they were all within Jonah's control but the storm and the fish, they were not. You see, it's not that God makes you go against your will. Give him enough time and a humble heart he will make it so that you are willing to go. See the difference? God does not make you go against your will. He just makes you willing to go. And that's what he's systematically doing with Jonah. Is at some point when that fish coughs Jonah up on the beach, Jonah is now in a place where he is willing to go and of course has great success in the ministry at Nineveh. Number three, instead of hoping somebody else will do it you do it instead of hoping somebody else will do it you do it if there is probably any great cancer that has invaded the american church we are the church of we are we can often be the church of someone else will do it someone else will take the risk someone else will be the schmo. Someone else will do the work. Someone else will teach. Somebody else will do it. We, we, are, we are so great at passing the buck. And I believe that this story shows very clearly that there are places where only you can go. Think about it. God calls Jonah and Jonah runs. If I were God, and thank God I'm not, I would take one look at that situation and say, if that's Jonah's heart and attitude, I don't want him anyway. Go, go Jonah, go fly off the edge of the earth for all I care. I'll find someone else to do it. But God didn't do that. You know why? God didn't want Jonah to get used to pawning off things to somebody else. God called Jonah to do it. God didn't want Walt to do it. God didn't want Pam to do it. 
God wanted Jonah to do it because there was something that he had called Jonah to do. There was something he had fashioned Jonah to do. There was something he only wanted Jonah to do. There are places in this life where only you can go, where God only has it for you to do it. There are people only you can reach. For some reason, in the American church, we think it's the pastor's job to reach everybody. Not going to happen. In fact, most of your friends who are want to discover about Jesus, they want to discover it because they see Jesus working in your life. You come and bring them your pastor, you know what happens 99% of the time? They clam up. They're freaked out by us. They think we sit in the corner all day and read the Bible and pray prayers and sing Christmas carols and speak in tongues. And they, they have no clue that we're actual real people. So when you bring a pastor, and oftentimes I see them clam up right away. Like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What do I say? This is this, this, this pastor. I mean, there is a network that God has called you to reach. That's not to say I don't reach people. I do reach people. But I reach people in the network he has placed for me. But there's a vast network he's placed for you. People, places only you can go. People only you can reach. There's prayers only you can pray. There is a kind of love that only you can show. Everybody here has the ability and capacity to love. And I think our love is a lot like our fingerprints. There is a way that you love that's through you that can only come through you. And when it's gone, it's gone. That doesn't mean there aren't different kinds of love. It doesn't mean that God can't reproduce great love. But there's a kind of love only you can show. There are opportunities that are only for you to fill. What gets in the way? What causes us to want to ship it off to someone else? Nine times out of ten, it is for us like it was for Jonah. There's a Nineveh standing in the way. And our Ninevehs, like I said before, our Ninevehs could be our co-workers. Our Ninevehs could be a friend where we work. Might be a group that we hang out with. Might be your neighbors down the street. Might be a politician you can't, can't just get over. A pastor that you just can't seem to get in alignment with. Who knows? Your Nineveh might even be your husband or your wife. Or even your grown-up children. Your Nineveh might be someone whose behavior has provoked you to such anger and bitterness that you're content to let somebody else do everything for the kingdom of God and you get a free pass to bow out because you're angry. But the fact of the matter is it didn't work for Jonah and it doesn't work for us. Why did God stick with Jonah? Because God did not want to leave Jonah bitter, angry, vindictive, and vengeful. Mm, that starts like this. And it ends like this. Those things are seeds as well. And they grow into suffocating vines. And God loved Jonah enough to not let him sail to Tarshish, to not leave him on that ship, but to bring him back. Now you may say, well, Tom, I've read the end of the book. 
And at the end of the book, Jonah is still mad at God. And it's true. You're right. And if you read most Christian scholars, most Christian scholars agree that Jonah's a bad prophet. That he uh, ended as rotten in his attitude as he began. But I beg to differ. You know why? There are details in the book of Jonah that only Jonah would have known. And I believe sometime before the end of his life, he looked back and realized exactly what God was doing with him. And he wrote down this story as a warning for others not to be like him because only Jonah knew the full story of Jonah. Amen? And then finally, number four, instead of making God in our image, where he likes only the people you like and hates only the people you hate, let us conform to God's image where whether it makes us squirm or not, he loves our friends, he loves our enemy, he pours mercy on our friends, he pours mercy on our enemies, but thank God he pours mercy on you too. Amen? I'd like to do something real quick. If we could all stand. I wrote out a response that I'd like us to say and pray together. I believe it's important. Even if you're at home right now, go ahead, stand wherever you're at. And if you believe this, I just want you to repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I do not want to go, but that is where you want me. Say, Lord Jesus, I do not want to speak up, but there are people who need to hear you speak through me. Say, Holy Spirit, I do not want to go. Help me to trust you where you lead. I will follow. I will follow. You may be seated. The story of a young lady who was trying to get into one of America's great universities. For those of you who have ever filled out a college application, many of you know that one of the questions on there usually says something like this. Are you a leader? A go-getter? Someone who makes things happen? And so... A young lady one time was filling out the application and she had asked for some advice from her youth pastor how to fill out the college application. And the youth pastor said, well, I don't know how I can answer that for you, but I can tell you this. Just answer honestly. Just be honest. And so the young lady put on there, no, I'm not much of a leader, not much of a go-getter, and I don't know if I always make things happen. 
expecting not to be admitted into that college, she moved on to other applications and in a few months time she got a response from that college. She said in reg- the the college board said in regards to the question where we asked are you a leader, a go-getter or someone who makes something happen? We had 1476 applicants reply yes. And only one respond no. And you were that no. So we would like to extend an invitation to come to our university because we feel like that those 1,476 people need at least one follower. <laughs> it was Taylor University in Indiana. How often we want to lead and control and how often God wakes us up every day and says, trust and follow. Amen?